0: Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Fiat money is evil, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 284. This article was originally posted on christianpost.com. Fiat money is a cesspool of theft, cronyism, and corruption. It's the escalator of wars, the source of wealth inequality, and the reason why seemingly everything today is politicized. Fiat money is an institution of evil on par with Joffrey from Game of Thrones. I didn't always think this way. It wasn't until 2008 that I started learning how fiat money or our current system of central banking worked. I remember sitting there shocked at my stock portfolio nosedived along with the rest of the market. What was going on? The news spoke of the subprime mortgage crisis and financial derivatives called credit default swaps. But the real shocker was still to come. Henry Paulson from the Treasury asked Congress for $800 billion to bail out the banks. This number seems quaint now, but back in 2008, this was a crazy number. Remember the scene from Austin Powers when Dr. Evil demands $1 million and they all laugh at him? Then he says $100 billion and they all stop laughing? That's what hearing $800 billion in 2008 was like. It seemed like an impossible number. Money doesn't work the way you think it does. $800 billion doesn't seem that big since we're talking about trillion-dollar deficits in 2022, so let's put that number in context. In 1959, the M2 money supply, a measure of all money in existence, was $289 billion. $800 billion is almost triple that amount. The M2 money supply in 2008 was $8 trillion, so they needed 10% of the entire USD supply in order to stabilize these banks. The question I had at that time was, where did this $800 billion come from? The U.S. government didn't tax us to get that $800 billion. They certainly didn't borrow it from another country, so where did it come from? To answer this question, we we need to go back to banking basics, how banks really make money. We're taught the basics of banking in school and it goes something like this. Alice deposits $100 into the bank and the bank pays her 3% interest on her money. Bob borrows $100 from the bank and pays 7% interest for the privilege. The difference of 4% is the bank's profit. Even a bank with a lot of money deposited, say $100 million, would only make $4 million per year and that would have to pay for the buildings, ATMs, vaults, computer systems, and lots of employees from the tellers, the loan officers, security guards, IT system admins, and for some reason, many, many vice presidents. The numbers just don't add up. So how do they make money? Banks make money by creating money. In Latin, this would be fiat pecunia, or let there be money, hence the term fiat. The amount of money a bank can create is limited by something called the reserve ratio. To keep things simple, let's say that a bank has a reserve ratio of 10. What does that mean? When a bank receives $100 in deposits from Alice, the bank can now lend out out money. A reserve ratio of 1 means the bank can only lend out $100. In our example, the bank has a reserve ratio of 10, so the bank can lend out 10 times as much, or $1,000 in loans to Bob. The $1,000 lent to Bob generates $70 in interest for the bank, and they pay Alice 3%, $3 for her 3% interest, so the net profit on the $100 deposit is $67. To put this in perspective, most banks nowadays have much higher reserve ratios than 10. This system of banks uh, creating money is called fractional reserve lending, and it's every bit as unfair as it sounds. How loans work. The way loans work is not money lent out from savings, but money created to be lent. For example, if you want $500,000 for a mortgage at 3% over 30 years, this money is not coming from someone's savings. Think about it. Would you ever take the other side of that trade? If someone came up to you and said, that $500,000 in the bank, I'll give you 3% interest for 30 years, would you ever take it? No, because the amount of capital is too high, the interest is too low, and the term is too long. It's a terrible deal, and nobody invests this way. Instead, that money is created by the bank for your benefit. The $500,000 did not exist until the loan was made by the bank. And the bank put that money into existence for you to buy that house and the bank benefits because they can collect interest on the money they just created. This, by the way, creates the perverse incentive of making banks want to give out more loans. The 2008 mortgage crisis was due to banks making too many loans to people that shouldn't have qualified. Who's losing? Are there any consequences at all? Does anyone lose, or is it all just a win-win for everyone? The beneficiaries are obvious. You get access to capital and thus can buy the house only paying a part of it. The bank gets interest from the loan. So who's losing? Well, it's everyone who's got dollars. Everyone else loses as a result of the loan. Their dollars are now worth a little less. And it's not just people in America. Heck, the people in the U.S. have access to all sorts of loans that create money like credit cards, car loans, personal loans, and student loans. Who it's really hurting are the people outside the US that hold around 65% of paper dollars. Why do they hold so many paper dollars? They hold paper dollars because it's more stable than the local currency and USD is seen as a good hedge against their own currency collapsing. For example, the Argentinian peso has an inflation rate of 48% per year, which is much higher than the current USD inflation rate of 7.5% a year, So keeping dollars around is prudent. Dollar expansion by the banks hurt people in places like Argentina, Nigeria, Lebanon, and Turkey. These are places where inflation is well into the double digits, where USD is not quite as bad as their local currency. It also impacts places like Venezuela, Zimbabwe, and North Korea, whose black markets use USD as the primary currency. For these countries especially, black markets are where the real action happens. So what happens when more money is created? These are the people that lose. The money creation by banks hurts the people of these countries. For example, North Korea has experienced surging food prices. The real victims are people that have no voice. Higher levels I don't want to single out mortgages, because that's just the tip of the iceberg. Way more money is created by commercial banks for the benefit of large businesses and by the central bank of the United States, the Fed, for the benefit of the US government. Large businesses can grow much larger by leveraging loans, and the federal deficit is a tally of how much money was created for the benefit of the US government plus interest. The $800 billion bailout for banks was created by the Central Bank of the United States to bail out banks. They diluted the money supply by 10% so that the banks would become solvent. They bailed out irresponsible banks by taking from the poorest of the poor. The trillions spent in Iraq and Afghanistan were created by the Central Bank to wage war. They diluted the money supply so that defense contractors could get rich. They brought suffering and death to the poorest of the poor. The trillions spent on COVID relief PPP loans were created by commercial banks to appease the public. They diluted the money supply so that the politicians wouldn't get the blame. They brought global instability to the poorest of the poor. Even the billions created every day by retail banks dilute the money supply so that we can have the things we otherwise can't afford. They bring higher costs to the poorest of the poor. Fiat money is evil because it incentivizes the wrong behaviors at all levels. Banks have a license to steal and the ones who suffer the most are the weak and vulnerable. And if we're honest, we're more than a little culpable. So what's the solution? In the next article, I'll make the case for Bitcoin, given its quanti- qualities as decentralized, digital, and scarce money. So I wrote this for the Christian Post, and the idea is to make an, a moral argument fairly you know, well, in, in the sense that, okay, here's this fiat money, and it's horrible for all these reasons. Um and uh, the setup is, OK, now we're going to talk about Bitcoin. I haven't written that second part yet, but I will. Um, but that, that's the idea. It's, uh, it, it's setting it up. And until you know the problem, it really doesn't make any sense, the, the solution. So uh, I, need to, I, I, I needed to explain the problem. Hopefully, I did that in that piece. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Jameson Lopp has a few posts about his experience with early Bitcoin versions pre-0.7. The first is on how to build the binaries, and the second is the performance of these builds. Perhaps the most interesting of his conclusions is that even building the older versions is hard, as they had very different third-party library dependencies, and some of those have since changed. Part of the ethos of Bitcoin is that we don't force anyone to upgrade the software, but it's not necessarily easy to go backwards in software versions, given that the rest of the world is changing too. So, um, you know, both his articles are well worth reading, but that that's something that I, I didn't expect, which is that it's hard to build those old versions exactly the way they were done because you had different dependencies and those libraries have since upgraded and so on. So it's... uh yeah, uh, he he records where the block stopped with the older versions and so on. So a very interesting article and um, a good lesson about sort of like forward compatibility. That Galaxy Digital has a paper about Stratum V two. The report is thorough and goes through how Stratum V one works, the weaknesses and evolution of pool mining and much more. Of particular interest are all benefit all the benefits of Stratum V two as laid out by the report. In particular, Stratum V2 has a lot of improvements in regard to censorship resistance, security, and flexibility. The main problem currently seems to be that V1 is the industry standard, and a lot of tools have been built on it already. The benefits are clear though, and I suspect that newer mining setups will be using V2 more than the older ones. Um, so stratum v1 is sort of like the standard right now and not too many pools uh, support stratum v2 but as soon as they do I suspect that it'll sort of get rolled in and so on uh, especially by uh, newer mining pools that are forming obviously there's a lot of established players that don't want to mess with their setup and so on and you know, I, if you mess up on any of this stuff, like it's it's really literally you your time is money. So you're, you're going to lose a lot of money. So uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, but I, I think the benefits of Shadow V2 are clear. MBAS has a handy guide to different address formats in bitcoin for those new to bitcoin development the breakdown of each address format and the functions of each is useful he needs to add pay to witness script hash though as that's not covered in his examples. so uh beck 32 also at least v1 uh requires um also uh having an address that's longer uh beck 32 address so yeah it, it's pay to witness script hash he just doesn't cover for some reason all right let's talk about lightning blockstream has released cl boss and automated uh ln lightning node node manager lightning network node manager the post claims that there's some ai to handle all the stuff that's hard about managing a lightning node like rebalancing channels opening channels when they're cheap performing submarine swaps and adjusting routing fees the submarine swap part uh, seems particularly interesting since that's a nice alternative to coin joints for privacy and payments. Looks like Sea Lightning is upping the game for everyone with this tool. I, I really hope that other tools uh, sort of make submarine swaps more native because uh, that that's really, to me, the, the big way to get privacy. It's very hard to trace a submarine swap because... You know, you, uh, unless you have all of the lightning data and everything else it, and be able to correlate, you know, somebody's uh, lightning transaction with the submarine swap, it, it, it gives you so much privacy. Um, so, you know, I, I'm hoping that becomes more the standard than uh, coin joins or whatever. Paper looks at pricing lightning network liquidity. The paper is economic in nature and tries to figure out what the equilibrium price will be given the prices for inbound liquidity. I imagine that as the Lightning Network grows, we'll see a lot more papers like this, since people will take profit a lot more seriously. Pricing models are huge in every industry, and they will get developed for arbitrage purposes on Lightning. So, liquidity has a certain uh, a certain price, uh, inbound liquidity in particular, uh, and they're trying to figure out what what's going on and how uh, what you know what it's going to be like as, as you model these things. Um, And that modeling is pretty important, Uh, like if you have, uh, you know, data about how things are going to be priced, that that's going to affect how you route and so on. So we'll we'll see, but it, it does seem very interesting. Albi is a browser extension that lets you access your lightning node through Tor. The idea is that you can use the extension to pay for stuff using lightning and still keep your privacy through Tor. I would love to see this paired with some privacy routing and perhaps even submarine swaps to make this really privacy-centric for those times you don't want anyone to know. It would have come in handy during the Canadian trucker donations, for example. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see where that goes, but albi is, is a browser extension that hooks up to your uh, node. I would love to see some sort of submarine swap and, you know, um, maybe run by default in incognito mode or something like that. Uh, but some, uh, something to that effect would be really interesting. Economics, engineering, etc. Arthur Hayes spits fire in his latest essay about canceling the energy markets of Russia. As he points out, there's a huge macroeconomic move made by the powers that be to essentially stop all business with Russia. Given how important they are to energy markets around the world, he thinks there will be a huge reckoning, the likes of which we are not prepared. Uh, he suggests that readers make sure they can protect their families. The Post has a lot more than this, and it's worth reading in its entirety, but the macro environment is looking pretty scary. Yeah, so he he talks about how like that uh, it's probably end of the dollar as the global reserve currency and stuff like that. Um, Read the whole thing, and I I think he makes some pretty compelling arguments. The Bitcoin manual explains why Lightning won't work on other chains. The main reason is that scaling the base chain uh, ruins your ability to validate it. Validating the main chain is an essential component of Lightning's trust model. You cannot do Lightning transactions without observing the base chain. In a sense, the Post is arguing that other chains can implement the protocol, but can't make it uh, reasonable to run in a sense running lightning network on another chain is pointless since they are all centralized anyway and hence it's unlikely to be implemented except maybe as an excuse to scam some more Um, so lightning is really made for the decentralized blockchain and that's of course only bitcoin uh so er everything else uh doesn't really benefit because they're already centralized so like all of these uh, people LARPing on, uh, on, you know, being lightning developers on these other chains. It, it really doesn't make any sense. And I, I think I agree with that. Croisos has an entertaining review of the Fiat standard using pictures. For those of you that enjoy the cartoons I put in this newsletter, uh, think that, but way more graphics. I wonder how something like this will play with a general audience since it's a lot easier to read than your typical wall of text. Send it to your normie friends and report back. Uh, So, yeah, that's one way in which you can look at uh, the fiat standard in a more entertaining way. I I suspect video is probably still the best uh, sort of narrative platform, but this is something in between, which I appreciate. Some quick hits, a certain open source uh, project discriminates against Russian IPs. This is being called protest wear. so that's a kind of a disturbing trend that you can't use this open source project if you're in russia what the heck uh will we see the end of the petrodollar system so there, there's some cracks showing in pet in the petrodollar the saudis are starting to be courted by china we'll we'll see where that goes european regulators tried to stop bitcoin mining and failed uh, so they had a resolution it got thrown, uh, thrown out. So basically, um, a lot of people in Europe that really don't understand Bitcoin, uh, Chivo is getting fixed. So Chivo is the wallet in El Salvador, and it looks like they're going to fix something about it. Uh, especially like a lot of the hiccups that a lot of people report. Some events I will be at the thank God for Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami, April 6th and Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 7th and 8th. I will also be at the Oslo Freedom Forum in Oslo uh, May 23rd to 25th and I'll be doing the Programming Blockchain Seminar in Miami April 4th and 5th. Uh, On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Will Cole about product management and I read through last week's newsletter. Uh, Here's the latest book which is out now, Bitcoin and the American Dream. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book, Thank God for Bitcoin and Programming Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin-native financial services, learn more at Unchain.com. Fiatlandas, this song is done.